0: I'm Maserati E and I'm
1: Chris Redlitz. Welcome to the Last Mile Radio.
0: We're paving the road to success. No lie. I've been on a mission for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I've been on a mission for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. Hey, paving a road, paving the road to, success. to success. I'm paving a road, paving the road to, be to be my best. I'm paving a road. Paving to success. So, I, E. Chris, you. what up? What up? How are you? Doing good, man. How about yourself?
1: Oh, I'm doing great. Yes, sir. I have a question for you, though. Talk to me. You know, we're, we're all, you and I, full of hopes and dreams and, and so forth and, and have big aspirations. Oh, yeah. Right? When you're sitting inside, and you have those hopes and dreams and aspirations, how do you keep that flame lit, not knowing exactly when you're going to get out of prison, mm. and how are you going to pursue those? How do you keep that hope alive?
0: Man, you know, it's, it's, in my opinion, a little easier said than done, but one of the things I think, at least for myself, I'm going to make an eye statement here, for myself, I reflected on results. I seen people do it. Um, from starting businesses to being successful in music to a bunch of different things, right? And I think focusing on results and seeing that it was possible inspired me enough to know that I can do it as well. And from there, writing it down and putting in as much work as I could.
1: So people that have been formerly incarcerated who get out and do great things, is it inspiration to you, especially when they come back into prison and tell their story? Is that right?
0: Definitely, definitely. Coming back, especially for formerly incarcerated people, to come back, especially if they come back to the same prison they paroled from, it just instills a completely different level of hope, ultimately. And what that hope does is transition to belief of something being possible and obtainable. So that ultimately alters what you feel you can do in your pursuit in making it happen
1: do you feel like there's a ceiling of hope when you're inside i mean you know that's what i experienced too when i first went inside and started talking to the men in san quentin there was this living in a box thinking in a box right
0: hell yeah
1: and how do you how do you break out of that
0: uh, so again, for myself, so I, I I understand and can relate to both aspects of that. I definitely internalized those self input mental limitations, and, and was at a point where I didn't think like certain things were possible, or tangible, or realistic, and. I was able to break that again by seeing people doing it. So people like Jason Jones, for instance, coming out and then coming back to the same exact prison that he paroled from and telling us all the great things that he was doing and the people that he met along the way. um, Like really instilled that belief of what was possible. You know what I mean? As well as um, for myself, I would say another turning point was starting my own company when I was 22. A1 Source Publication, publication company, from just learning how to do um, just learning different business entities from like a um, from an IRS pamphlet. You know what I mean? And that's how I learned how to start like a sole proprietorship and with the intent of like going sub chapter X later on sub chapter S corp later on. You know what I mean? But understanding these things ultimately like instilled a new found belief. And with that belief came the actions. Cause like if I if I don't think I can do it, then nine times out of ten, I'm not even gonna pursue it.
1: Right. And now you're the inspiration for a lot of those that are inside, which is a really cool position to be in.
0: Definitely came around full circle, and that knowing that and experiencing that is one of the like real things that fuel me to continue to do that. Like I, I was that person behind the wall having my bros come pull up on me, so I, I know what that feels like. So I feel like not only just obligated, but I want to do that and be that person for somebody else.
1: Yeah, and the story that we're going to hear today and and the the guy that we're going to be talking to oh yeah ken oliver is an amazing story of coming from the depths of incarceration with almost no hope of ever getting out to doing extraordinary things
0: talk about A remarkable story I I can't wait to dive into this one Chris this one this one is deep man when it comes to transformation and when it just comes to that ultimate level of resilience and what can come from that and just that belief in self of what's possible bro like that is nuts I'm so excited for this one I'm so excited for this one and I hope you are just excited as we are so stay tuned right here on Sirius XM the last mile radio is going down when we come back we're gonna be chopping it up with Ken Oliver stay tuned Yes, yes, yes. And we are back. We are back right here on the Last Mile Radio. serious XM is going down. It's going down. And Chris, I got to say, man, I'm excited to announce our next guest.
1: I'm sure you are.
0: Oh, yeah. We got my dog, the big dog, the VP of Checker.org. And the exec, two hats, and the executive director of the Checker Foundation. It's going down. We got my boy Ken Oliver in the building. What's happening, babe? What
2: up, what up? Good to be here, Maserati.
0: Hey, Good to
1: see you, Chris. Yeah, great to have you.
0: Welcome to the Last Mile Radio.
1: Yeah, for sure we really appreciate you doing this and uh man you are doing some phenomenal work yes and you have an amazing story about how you got here as well like you are doing some change maker stuff but let's dive back a little bit and because it's so interesting and inspirational for people to understand like background and then transformation and where you are today. So can you take us back a little bit about, you know, being incarcerated, what that life was like, and then when that journey of transformation really started?
2: Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you asking uh the question. I appreciate y'all having me. Um, you know, go back to nineteen ninety six. We were right in the thick of the three strikes law, especially here in LA County, and I was a passenger in a in a stolen vehicle. I think January of nineteen ninety six. Um, we get pulled over by the police and, you know, I'm thinking I'm a bail out. It's a, you know, sixty day, ninety day type of charge. And um they gave me a six hundred thousand dollar bail and told me I was facing life in prison. Wow. Um and so, you know, fast forward a year I end up getting life in prison. I go to prison um, with a 52 year life sentence. Wow. Ah. Because you had previous strikes and this was your third strike. I, I had previous strikes when I was younger. I had been out at the time about five or six years, um, had stayed, you know, trouble free and then had this infraction, which, you know, anywhere in the country, just to get perspective is 30 day slap on the wrist, you know, type of offense. Um, and the judge, when he sends me he said, this is like, this is joyriding. And he said, even though I don't think you, you don't deserve life in prison, I'm bound by the law. And gave me life in prison so i didn't believe in my mind to be honest with you it didn't dawn on me that i would die in prison so you know when i got to prison i I made it my business to do a lot of reading and, and keep free the only thing they couldn't take from me they took my body they restricted my physical movements but they couldn't take my mind come on man um so i said you know what i'm gonna double down and like read read business history philosophy politics and prepare myself for the time when the gates opened. I didn't know when it was going to be. I mean, it could have been tomorrow. It could have been 30 years from now, but I knew I was going to be ready.
1: Um, but but so. let, let me just interject here. You're given a life sentence. Did you enter at a level four? Present? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I did
2: most of my time at level four maximum security. So, so just
1: to give a perspective, there are no programs in level four. No programs. You have to be totally self-generated there to do anything, that, right? 100%. So talk about that experience a little bit. Sure.
2: Well, you know, I, I grew up in... My story is a cliche. I grew up in gang neighborhoods in South Central LA and uh, went to prison, you know, had an affiliation from my neighborhood where I grew up at. And, you know, in a level four prison, you're either going to dive headfirst into nihilism, yep. you know, of some sort, or you're going to try to find a lane to carve out for yourself. And, and what I did, which is kind of very unique, is I kind of straddled both. And what I thought that I could do is I thought that I could change the culture of the way gang members thought. Mm-hmm. So rather than say, I have to change who I am, as a gang member, because, you know, we are who we are and we are from where we are from, you know, I thought, well, what about if we just change the mentality of the homies? Hmm. And instead of be out there sagging, thugging, trying to, you know, sell stuff on the yard, why don't we think about how we can open up businesses? Why don't we think about how we can take back over our neighborhoods? Why don't we think about economic development, investing and all that type of stuff? And so what I really try to do is draw an analogy of like what the Italian mafia does. Right. Because because when they go into these places, you know, they set up shops, they own restaurants, they own businesses, et cetera. And it's really just a perspective and a mind shift rather than doing stuff that's self-destructive and just causes to be in prison. And we just commit a gang of senseless murders against our own people. Talk. So, you know, I, I knew that in order to be able to convince folks that I had to have a lot of education. But you know, I didn't think of education as like a K through 12 education. I thought of education as like what we call in the hood game. Right. Mm-hmm. right? Sure, so, absolutely. So like the game could come from Warren Buffett. It could come from, you know, Donald Trump. I read The Art of the Deal, right? It could come from, you know, Tolstoy. You know, it could come from, you know, a wide variety of different sources that gives you a, a potpourri of knowledge to allow you to navigate things in life, whether that be emotional intelligence, whether that be business, et cetera. So I really immersed myself in that. And then the more you know, the more enlightened you become, the more dangerous you become to prison officials. Absolutely. And... You know, prison officials started to believe just based on the fact the way that I mobilized people. I was a MAC chairman at three maximum security prisons, and and I was very, I wasn't one of those MAC chairmen that like decided to hang out with the police. I was a MAC chairman that decided that you know we have power as a population. What, what is a MAC chairman? Yeah, a MAC chairman is a person that represents all of the races on the yard with the prison administration. Mm-hmm. So I would go in and like make demands on the prison administration about programs and different things to bring in, and you know, a big part of the way I got out was there was a lot of resistance involved and I would organize people to resist some of the things that prison officials were pushing on us in level four prisons, like doing interviews when the incident happened.
0: Right. So right. just
2: just as an example, like in a level four prison they would lock something down when someone got assaulted and then they would do these individual interviews where they would take people out one at a time and take them in a private place where no one could see. And then after like a month of doing that, they would come up with this body of knowledge of people that, you know, what we call snitching. Right. And and then they would they would refuse to let us off lockdown if we didn't participate. So I felt that, you know, that that was wrong. I felt like trying to take people out, forcing them to give information to prison officials was something that we weren't compelled to do. Like, right. I'm not compelled to do that.
1: Yeah. And so I would organize bodies of people to, to do that. And so... And, uh, and just a, that power dynamic that you're talking about is somewhat threatening. How were you dealt with in the system yeah. with that power dynamic that you were increasingly yeah. getting? That, that, that's, an, that's an, interesting question.
2: <laughs> so, so what, what happened is, is they, they started to think in their mind that like I was able to do too much mobilizing them. And so, you know, I was a voracious reader. I, I never did a day in prison where I didn't have at least a hundred books in my cell. Hmm. And one day they came in to do a cell search and they found a book by George Jackson
0: Oh, you get in uh-huh. trouble for that book. Yeah.
2: So they they find a book by George Jackson, which was one of about 100 books that I had. And I had the book for 10 years. So George Jackson was probably the most famous prisoner in American history. Mm-hmm. Right. And he was he was a young black man from Pasadena, California, not too far from here, who went to jail and got life in prison for a $70 gas station robbery right. at 19. And then while he was in prison, he became politicized. He became part of the Black Panther Party. He became just an astounding intellect. He was a political theoretician in a time in American history that was very volatile in reference to civil rights, in reference to the Black Power Movement, in reference to revolutionary struggles that were happening across the world, both in Cuba and over in Angola and Africa. And he mastered his craft and became just a genius in his mid-20s. He was like a a, a political Tupac, right? He was just like, he was on one. And he also happened to be a very tough individual. He was a Black Belt in martial arts, self-taught, an imposing figure, 6'2", 220, and, you know, Basically, he was dangerous to, right. to He was supposed to, right. to be wrecked with, for sure. And so they locked him in solitary confinement, and they would never let him out because they thought he was he was a danger right? Mm-hmm. because of his political awareness. And so what's interesting about George Jackson is he really represents the trajectory of a lot of young Black men in inner cities all across America. And he wrote about that. He wrote about the expectation of either dying by 21 or ending up in prison. And so it's really autobiography of Malcolm X and George Jackson. Soledad Brothers. is kind of like an introduction for any young black person that comes to prison because that gives you a foundation of understanding who you are as a young black person, young black man, who most of us when we come to prison don't know what that is. My my first introduction to Marcus Garvey and Malcolm X happened in a prison cell rather than a school building.
1: So what was the result of that then?
2: The result of that was that they came in my cell, they found a book by George Jackson and they said we think you're the minister of education for the black guerrilla family. Oh, wow. And you have way too many political books and they, they did an investigation. They sent me to administrative segregation, left me there for, I don't know, eight, nine months. Wow. They put they put yellow tape on my cell like a murder had happened and refused to let anybody in.
1: And to let people know this is basically solitary as people refer yeah.
2: to that. Or the shoe, Or the shoe. Solitary confinement. And I'll never forget, you know, they have some, what they call the goon squad that investigates these things. And he comes to my cell and he says, you know, Ken, do I think that you're the minister of education for the black river Department? No, I don't. He said, but you are scaring the warden with the stuff that you have in your cell, like the books and all of that. And like, I've been told by the higher ups to get rid of you. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what do you mean get rid of me? I said, I haven't done anything. There was no kites dropped on me, no 1030s. I hadn't done anything, but just have these books in my cell. Right. And they said, he put his head down. He said, they're going to send you solitary and you'll never get out.
0: Wow. Damn.
2: And that's what they did. They sent me a piece of paper on a 128B chrono. And said that you're going to solitary confinement indefinitely. Wow. And so I got, you know, first I got shipped off to the Bay. Then I went to Corcoran. Pelican Bay? Yeah. Two very isolated places, by the way. You know, for people that don't know, solitary confinement is, they they say it's like 23 hours a day. It's not 23 hours a day. It's 24 hours a day. Right. And then twice a week, you get to go out to a dog kennel under escort, shackles to a dog kennel-sized cage is about eight by nine. You can't take four steps in any direction with a steel toilet, and that's your recreation. Yeah. So, And how do you keep a positive perspective when this is going on?
0: That's a great question. Yeah,
2: that's, that's, that's a good question. So when I first got locked in solitary, because I was politically conscious, I immediately understood that this is the same thing they did to my ancestors during slavery where they forbid black people to read, mm-hmm. that enlightening yourself as a black man, specifically was scary to people who were in power. Right. So rather than like capitulate, I doubled down. And I said, you know what? I said, I don't believe that it's legal in the 21st century to put a person in the prison underneath a prison for reading a book. So I started studying the law. Hmm. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to master constitutional law. Wow. And uh, I did that. Um, during the course of my solitary confinement, you know, reading became my safety valve, to keep myself sane. And I just, I read every single case that every Supreme Court in the United States ever came out with around freedom of speech in the First Amendment, around the 14th Amendment, the different branches of due process, around the Eighth Amendment, cruel and unusual punishment, et cetera, Mm -hmm. the Sixth Amendment right to trial, and really started to understand how they had woven this tapestry of the justice system together because I knew if I was going to beat my enemy at chess, I needed to master chess, right. legal chess.
0: Can't combat what you don't
2: know exists. Can't combat what you don't know. And I was watching so many people around me because it's, it's an emotional thing when you get put in solitary. Thousands of people were in solitary. A lot longer than me. I was there almost nine years. or were people there for 20, Damn. 30 years. Hugo Pinnell was there for 40 years. And they were quick to like file against like the evidence. Like, oh, they locked me up because I had my homie in my phone book. And people would like file lawsuits, but they were constantly losing, getting kicked out of court. And so what I did is like I zoomed out and started thinking, okay, why are all these people losing? Because they're challenging something they can never win because there's a very low threshold. Courts don't want to um, micromanage prison, so they give a large deal of deference to wardens and, and departments of correction, excuse me. And so I said, what I need to do is challenge the infrastructure, Get away from the evidence, the evidence. I need to challenge the constitutionality of the infrastructure that CDC had built for 50 years. This had been going on since the early 70s hmm. where they were locking people up. Just Maserati has a conversation with me on the yard. If an IGI person has something against Maserati, they can lock him up and say he's an associate of Ken. Ken's validated. You're going to the hole right, right. No exactly. evidence, no Anything we could have been talking baseball. Right. Even
0: right. having those books, they could validate. you. That, that's when I was right. in Solano, I had the George Jackson book. They confiscated that from me and threatened to validate me and right. say I was going to be in a game. That's I'm right. like, what? Right? Like it was nuts. Right. They,
2: they 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 were manufacturing cases. And so what what would happen is is like the IGI if if there was a threat of something where they didn't like you or you rubbed somebody, then they would try to like okay manufacture these cases. Let me go through his phone book and see if he has any single person in our system that has been validated before. He he, he might not have talked to the person for 10 years. It might have been his cousin. It doesn't right. matter. Yeah. Oh, he has a George Jackson book? Okay, that's one piece. Let me see if I can put the other pieces together. Next thing you know, he's in solitary forever. It happened to a lot of guys.
1: Right. So we're on this journey in solitary. Yeah. How does that evolve to the point where you can get out of there sure. and then start the journey to get released? Because at this point... You know, you talked about going in 96. Yep. Way no, different Nobody band. was getting out. No. Yeah, way different Nobody was band. getting out. No lifers were getting out, like less than 2%. No. So you have to keep that mental positive energy because no one's getting out, and you have to say, how am I going to get out of this box? 100%. So how did you do that? So th- there were a couple of things that kept
2: um, – I just wanted to double-click on how I kept my sanity because The Last Mile actually, ironically enough, and it's funny how things come full circle, played, a role, played a role in – my sanity in kind of a vicarious way. So while I was studying law, also I was telling Bev earlier, like one of the things I thought about, like if I'm ever able to get out of here, I need to be able to hit the ground running because I don't want to put an orange vest on and go pick up stuff on the side of the freeway. Right. Right. And I said, you know, I w- I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always been interested in like what's on the cutting edge of like business making money success and at the time like tech was doing a lot of big things there were a lot of like mergers and acquisitions people were buying companies and you know i used to tell my family like send me all the ink magazines the wired magazines the entrepreneur magazines the tech crunch magazines and i used to read a lot about tech and then i read an article one day i think it was in the wall street journal about the last mile like in 2011 2012 13 somewhere up in there and it was about this program in San Quentin that was opening up. And at the time they were talking about entrepreneurship more so than coding. Right. Mm-hmm. It was the entrepreneurship yep. piece. Yep. And I'm like, oh man, if I could ever get out of here, like I'm going to San Quentin because I'm getting ready to get in that program and I'm going to make something happen, right? Sure. Um And then a few weeks later, I wrote about a program called Project Remade,
0: mm-hmm. which was
2: out of Stanford. Um, That's right. That was happening. It was an entrepreneurship program. I'm like, oh yeah, there's some programs out there that I can get involved with. So I actually wrote, to the last mile on San Quentin was in Solitary Confinement. I told Bev to look up in the archives because I'm sure you guys yes. have a couple a couple yeah. letters from Ken Oliver from Solitary Confinement at Corcoran. And so that helped keep me sane because I used to listen to this podcast called Business Rockstars. Mm. It was an interview podcast similar to this where they would interview entrepreneurs, tech people, people who are on the cutting edge with new businesses. And I was just fascinated by opportunity. And I said, I'm going to make something happen because these people aren't any smarter than me. I know, I know if I can just focus and, and get my weight up that I can make similar stuff happen Absolutely. Um, from a creative standpoint. And so... We did some hunger strikes in 2012 and then 2014 where we organized the largest hunger strikes in American history in an indoor facility. 30,000 people at one point participated. This
1: was in Pelican Bay, right?
2: Pelican Bay, Multiple Corcoran, all, all the prisons, yeah. though. Yeah, I, yeah. I was in
0: Folsom. We, we, no, I, I remember, participated I as that. well in yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, so we did a hunger strike. And what a lot of people don't know, four dudes died in the building that I was in from hunger strike. And so like, mm-hmm. we we talk about like solitary, we talk about these things, but like there were men that sacrificed their life for a bigger cause yep. for this. And then as a result of those hunger strikes, Lawyers from across the country, the United Nations came out and said that anything past 30 days is considered to be torture. The Constitutional Law Center in in Pennsylvania came out and and a a cobble of attorneys came together to basically bring CDC to its knees and and did such a remarkable job that CDC agreed to stop validating people based on status, that there actually had to be some type of action behind putting someone in solitary. So they let us out in 2016- so I was part of that wave and that movement that got released to the mainline. main line. They sent, because my points had dropped over all those years I was in solitary, like your points are dropping every year for not getting any write-ups. Right. I qualified for a level two and I tried hard to get to San Quentin, couldn't get there. And uh, they sent me to Soledad Central. Hmm. And so I get to Solidad. I still have no idea when I'm going to get out. I'm under the hmm. three strikes law. My earliest possible release date is 2048. Wow. And, let me back up a little bit. While I'm in solitary, the three strikes law changed. Right. Prop 36. Um, Prop 36. That's and right. so the DA in LA County refused to consider my case because I was validated as a, as a prison gang member. Right, And so they were like, ain't no way in the world we're going to let Ken Oliver out of prison. And so um, Stanford University came in and, and helped me with my case. And then all this time, my, my lawsuit that I filed for being validated is pending in federal court. It took me four years to write that lawsuit because I was so busy and meticulous about trying to get that right. And it just sat up there for like two, three years, right? And when I got released to Soledad, I remember they said, Oliver, we want you to go up to the visiting room because there's a judge from the federal court that wants to talk to you. And so I get escorted up there and I go in there and there's this judge on on this big video monitor and he says, you know, hi, I'm judge so-and-so. Do you know who I am? I'm like, no. And he said, I'm the one that's been sitting on your lawsuit for the last couple of years. And what I want to ask you is, is what do you want? (laughs) Right. And I said, what do you mean what I want? He said, well, you wrote this lawsuit. He said, it's a good suit. He said, but you didn't say what you wanted. And I said, yes, I did. I said, for an amount to be determined to trial, which is my right to do. Hmm. Right. Because when you file federal stuff, if you put a number on it, you may cap yourself out. So what you do is you leave it open and leave it up to the jury to decide what the award should be. Like if you say like, oh, I want a million dollars, even if your case is worth 10, all you can get is a million.
0: So yeah, that's what you ask. So, 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 you, so, you,
2: so you leave it open. You say like for an amount to be determined. Right. If you think you have a strong case. And he said, oh, I know. the judge. I, I know. I know you have a right to like say that. He said, but I, I want to know. What do you want? I said, that's that's a good question. I said, I haven't thought about it. I said, but one thing I do know in the state of California, it's $150 a day for false imprisonment. Mm. So if we add that up, and I did this to him, I said, for the eight and a half years that I've been there, just for me to answer my name, if you called me, it'd probably cost $750,000 just for me to get in a room and have a conversation with you. I said, no, I'm not saying I would settle for that. That's just what right. I might answer my name for. He said, oh, great. He said, no worries. He said, that's, that's beautiful, right? He said, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go talk to the attorney general, and we're going to call you back in a couple of weeks and i'll tell you what happened and we'll have a second conversation and i said okay so they escorted me back to the block now solid has this huge huge hallway it takes about 10 minutes to walk you know up and down and by the time i got to the cell block at the end they're telling me i got to go back hmm. so they escorted me back i waited in the room about 15 minutes The judge comes back in he said i just walked down the hallway and talked to the attorney general he's fine with what you said they want to come up and talk to you at solidad are you okay with them coming to talk to you at Soledad? now I'm not game goofy. Like if Attorney General of California wants to come see me at Solidad Prison, I know what he's gonna do. He's gonna come with the briefcase and the and the then the blank check for ten thousand. Right to try to get me to sell out for Jump can- on this yeah, real yeah quick. because yeah. you know, you know, sell out for canteen and packages and you know, ten thousand dollars is a lot of money in prison. For sure. Know, for, for people who don't have any money. And so, yep. you know, you wanna see me without representation. I don't have an attorney, I'm I filed this pro se. Right. You wanna like get me in the visiting room and try to, you know, see if you can catch a number. So I said, yeah, you can come see me. I'm, I'm cool with it. So I immediately went out and called my attorneys, at uh, Mike Romano at Stanford, um, who was representing me on my three strikes case. Shout out to
1: Mike Romano. Oh, shout out to Mike shout Romano. Mike. Right? That's my man.
2: <laughs> um, you know, Susan Champion, uh, Melania Blake, they do great work, you know, on behalf of people that are part of three strikes in California. So I called him, I said, listen, I just had this like bizarre experience where this judge calls me up. He tells me, talk to the attorney general. They want to come see me about my suit. And I said, should I see him? He was like, absolutely not. He said, we're going to call the judge tomorrow. We'll sit in for you and put in a a change of attorney for you, um, take you off a pro se, and then we'll talk to the attorney general. So they called the attorney general. And the attorney was like, oh, oh, "Oh wait, we didn't know he was represented by you all, right? <laughs> we we, we, we weren't we were saying that we weren't saying that we want to come up there. We were saying we might want to come up there." So they say this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Other oh, times, backpedal, clean out of quick.
1: They tried you, to clean you. Don't up. want to get on the bad side of Mike Romano.
0: Fact.
2: That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Mike's a great attorney. <laughs> Definitely. So so they capitulate. They back up. Then Mike Romano. Keenly enough, because they're a small clinic at Stanford. They do criminal justice work. Mm -hmm. This is a civil case. Mm -hmm. So they brought in this huge law firm called Mayor Brown, Mm -hmm. which is like they do like $10 billion a year in billing. They do, you know, stuff all over the world. And they came up to see me and and this lawyer, you know, who has turned out to be like my very best friend in the world. His name is Ward Johnson. He comes up with like three attorneys and they interview me. And after he hears like what happened to me, he said, Ken, we're going to get you out of prison and we're going to get you paid. He said, -hmm. because what they did to you is unconstitutional. And so they kind of like took over my civil case. And six months later, they formed a meeting with the attorney general, CDCR, the judge. And he told, and I love telling this story, he goes to tell his lawyers at his Palo Alto office. He says, listen, and he's talking to 10 of them. And he says, we're going to go in here with our trial best suits on, our best briefcases. And we're going to go in here and we're going to tell the attorney general of California that if they don't let Cat out of prison and they don't settle this case, We're going to make their life miserable. We're going to bring the weight of Mayor Brown
1: Mm.
2: on them. And we're willing to go all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. That's what he told them. And so they end up going like this bevy of attorneys with the Stanford attorneys, but with all these Mayor Brown attorneys. And they go up to the Northern District Federal Courthouse and they spent all day negotiating. And and when they were done, they called me up. I'm sitting up there in the the legal visiting room and they said, Kent, it's over. Um, Just like that. We, we, we got you a settlement and you're going to be going home. Wow. Right? And uh, blessings. So, you know, I got, I got that blessing. And it took like six months to work the paperwork out with the LA Superior Court. And I ended up getting out of prison. And so that's kind of how this whole thing
1: happened. That's amazing.
0: That's deep. That's deep. <laughs> and we chopping it up with my dog, man, Ken Oliver, the VP at Checker.org. And got to put the end on that. And executive director of the Checker Foundation It's going down. And it's been a hell of a journey.
1: <laughs> that That is amazing. You get out. Um, you had a 52 to life sentence. You get out of prison and you've got uh, this momentum in your mind. We talk a lot about Go Mode. Oh, Go Mode is real. So, Ken, you had Go Mode when you were in the shoe, right? Yeah. So put this guy out in the marketplace with Go Mode. (laughs) What's going to happen? I was on some Chef Curry stuff, to be honest with (laughs) you. I mean, just just in
2: reference to, like, my drive and ambition. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm from L.A., and, and one of the conditions of my release is that I go to the Bay Area. Yeah. Right. So I don't My know.
0: Woods. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't
2: know anybody in Oakland. I end up going to a house with this woman, an attorney named Kate Chatfield. And Erlan is there living yeah. there. He had just got out um, a little bit earlier from Ear Hustle.
0: That's actually where we met.
2: Yeah, that's, that's it. that is actually where we met. It does come full circle. Yeah, it yeah. Does, I'm, it does. I'm in a halfway house in West Oakland. Yep. And that's where I meet Maserati. But Erlan lived there at the time. Yep. And so I told Erlan, like, listen, man, I got to get into tech. Because while I was in solitary confinement, I had been watching all of this activity happen in tech. And I said, this is where I'm going to make my bread. Right. Like, I'm going to take my entrepreneur, like, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And this is where I'm going to sprinkle it. And I'm yeah. going to, you know. And, you know, Arlan wasn't in tech at the time. He was in the podcast. And I said, man, listen, I need to talk to somebody in tech, right? So he hooks me up with Kenyatta. So this is how I end up meeting Kenyatta. And so Kenyatta comes over. And I say, Kenyatta, listen, I, I want to talk to, like, Beverly and Chris,
0: <laughs> I said, I said,
2: I tried to get in San Quentin for like six, seven years and couldn't get there, Man. right? And I said, like, what happens to the ninety-five percent or 90 percent of people that can never get into San Quentin,
0: hmm.
2: right? Because most people in CDCR can't get to San Quentin. Right. That's right, right? And so. I taught when I was Solidad, just backing up a little bit, along with somebody who ended up becoming my co founder, a business and entrepreneurship class in Solidad of about 60 guys that we used to teach. And we used to read Jim Collins and other entrepreneur stuff. And then we report back and we develop these plans. But it was very organic. It wasn't like a structured program, it was a group.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, I said, Listen, man, I said, there's a whole bunch of talent, a whole bunch of will, a whole bunch of hunger for. Cats that want to be an entrepreneur. You know how cats is. They, oh, I'm going to be a real, real, real estate person. It's like, it's like uh, Wall Street. You know, it's, it's a million right. of those cats that Yeah, facts. 100%. Right? That White, Mexican, black, Asians. Yeah. Like, they, they want to do it. And so he said, okay, I'm going to talk to them. I'm just going to tell you what he said. I don't know if this is true or not, but I got I to un- unpack it. So he says, like, you know what? They're, they're highly focused on the prison piece of it. They don't want to, like, get into the reentry space at this time. Right? Mm-hmm. And so that was my first, what I considered to be like a door shut on me. I'm like, damn okay, I, I can't, like, use this as a vehicle, right? But he never actually talked to us. No, I never got a chance to talk to him. But, I, you know, I'm just keeping it 100. This is how, right, this, right, absolutely. This, this, is how this unfolded. Because, right. And this is important because this is what led to crop. That's deep. Right? So I'm at the halfway house. I've been out about 30 days. I checked into Merritt College. I'm getting my paralegal certification. But I have this bug in me that's, like, messing with my head at night, mm-hmm. right, about this tech stuff. And after that experience... And this is right when the next chapter was about to open up. So Kenyatta was in transition anyway. I was also part of Defy okay. Ventures when I got out. I was right in the middle of the program in Soledad when I was released. And I called Defy up and I was like, I was in the program in Soledad. Like, I'm hungry. I'm ready. Like, show me the way. Oh, are you an EIT? I said, What's no, EIT? An EIT is an entrepreneur in training. So these okay. are people who have graduated the program. You get the title of like EIT. Okay, okay, okay. And so they said, Did you graduate? No. And he said, oh, "If you didn't graduate, we don't have anything for you on the streets." I said, "Well, wait a minute. I was in the middle of the program. It sounds like—I'm uh, not for sure—it sounds like that I'm being excised out
1: right, because, I, did, a because
2: bit. I got released from prison." No, we're not saying that. We're just saying that our services are set up for people who are graduates from the program. This is 2019. And So I'm thinking to myself, you know what? This is crazy. Right. Now here you got somebody getting out of prison who is probably one of the hungriest. I'm like a wolf at this time just Man. Like to get into tech, right? <laughs> And I can't get anybody to open the door for me. And so what I said, I'm going to create my own stuff. So I sat at that table that you recorded your music on. Mm -hmm. And I started writing a business plan. And I said, I'm going to build the Stanford of reentry programs. I'm going to build a program where people come out and it looks like the first year of college. You have a campus that you live at.
0: Hmm.
2: I'm going to provide the optimal learning experience for you. I'm going to take care of your housing. I'm going to clothe you. You're going to be fed and food and all the rest of that. And the only thing I want you to do is park your game right here for one year. Learn. Right. And I was thinking UX design, UI, uh, touch points that were lower than engineering, Mm -hmm. because the reality is is that most of my homies, and I'm doing this from personal experience, aren't going to do the ones and zeros. Right. They aren't the ones that didn't go through Hack Reactor. And so when I think about scale, well, wait a minute, there's marketing, there's project management, there's product managers, there's go to market, there's sales, there's all these different other touch points in tech. And, you know, 70 percent of the jobs in tech aren't engineering related. So I said, I'm going to build this myself based on my lived experience. And I wrote this business plan. And so while I'm writing the business plan, I'm also working at LSPC, where I also met you doing organizing, I was a state policy director, pushing policy yep. voting rights and all the other stuff for, for criminal justice reform. And so a lot of the things that I did was go to some of these tech companies and talk about ban the box. You know, I went to Google Fitbit and all these companies, I'm talking to HR right. leaders and others about what ban the box mean, what the compliance of the law means um, from an advocate's perspective. And I would always like try to take the conversation a step further, like forget ban the box, like ban the box is cool. But what about creating internship programs, paid apprenticeship programs, and creating pathways for justice impacted people to get in the door? Right, right. And and most of them were open to it, to be surprisingly enough. They're like, "Can all this sounds amazing? We'd love to like do this out of our corporate social responsibilities." But talk to us about the skills that they have. The people. Now, you know, the only thing they got in prison, you know, Mother office services for the most part, yeah, for real. Except San Quentin,
0: right? Most places just office services. Are vocational. Yeah, it's. it's and a, then that's hit and miss, really, depending on where you're at. Yeah, for the most part, it's office stuff. And then most programs, I, the, I, I would say the most common is not even, in my opinion, like a work field skill, but like NA. Right. I, that was like everywhere NA, AA. I'd have right. been to yards where like that was the only program they that's had. Right. And it's like, damn, you got nothing else? Like, that's crazy.
1: So you created this business idea, CROP. Yep. And, and you'll tell us what CROP stands sure. for. But then you ended up getting funded. Yeah. So tell us that, because it's so cause, cause so this I, is pretty amazing. Yeah, we we
0: got to get, get the journey, man. <laughs> so so I'm, I'll
2: segue you in this. So I'm writing this business plan. And at the time I was calling it the Phoenix Project, mm-hmm. right? And then a friend of mine who was at San Quentin, his name is Ted Gray. And him and, and a group of people at Solidad, him and his crew had created this ecosystem of, of groups at Solid Dad that kind of mirrored San Quentin, but didn't have the resources of San Quentin or the volunteer stuff. But they had groups where they were trying to change the mindset a prison so they did a lot of things on personal leadership which is what they became famous for mm-hmm. and he gets commuted by governor newsom while he's at san quentin mm. so he he gets out and we connect and he says like we want to go back into prison to continue to teach the personal leadership piece and right about the time that he wanted to do that is the lockdown for COVID. this mm. is april 2020 okay so the prisons that shut down yeah they don't have a place to go to do what they've done they both him and his crime partner and his crew had been in prison for 20 years from the time they were kids 20 years old and I told him like listen there's something else because the prison program has a a ceiling on it and you know I don't like ceilings you know (laughs) Um, I said listen there's another opportunity I said we can build the Stanford of Reentry and I'm going to tell you how this is what I've seen this is what I've been doing these are the companies that I'm talking to Ran down the business plan to him, which was going to involve, you know, personal leadership development, soft skill training, boot camp style training and all these different tracks. Then working with employers to teach them how to onboard and have change management in the companies to receive talent and then also work with housing providers to teach them to receive people who had livable wage jobs, et cetera, with no credit history, et cetera. Mm. And he asked me point blank. He said, do you think we can raise money for it? And I said, well, I've been talking to a couple people, including the cat at Amazon. And he told me that if I put this together right, I can get 10, 15 million bucks overnight. Nice. So he said, Ken, if I bring you in here, he said, like, we're we're trusting you because they're fresh out. So they don't really understand the ecosystem the way that I did at the right. time. He said, we're going to be relying heavily on you. I said, giddy up, <laughs> load up, right? Straight so they up. bring me on. So I leave my, my job at LSPC and I go work for CROP, which was creating restorative opportunities and programs. It was actually a nonprofit that was started in prison to generate activities and positive programming for men, including the personal leadership piece that him and his team had done. So they brought me in. I was, you know, it was four guys and they brought me in. I was the fifth one and I just went to work. I leveraged my policy experience. I leveraged working with companies like Google and the UC Berkeley Goldman School of Policy to Mm -hmm. get evaluation pieces put together. And then started having a lot of policy conversations. And it started actually with a conversation with Ted and his crimey thanking the governor for the commutation that they got. We had this plan, like when you're in there in front of the governor's office, right? Speaking to Gavin Newsom, like, tell him we coming and we want some money and this is what we're trying <laughs> to do. And they did, and he said, you know, Gavin Newsom said, listen, I, he, he basically parked that. He said, because so I can't personally give you like money. Right. He said, but if you're able to convince the legislature, cause your plan sounds amazing, then I'm in full support. And so we went to work and I started getting on the phone with these policymakers, and, and, you know, doing what I know how to do on the policy front. And, uh, it was a Hail Mary really, cause we're asking for 27 million. We, I'm two years out of prison. They're one year out of prison. We had no real track record other than what we had done in prison. And one day I get a call from the budget analyst for the assembly. And she says, Ken, you know we had our vote today about the budget and like her voice didn't sound like i was going to get it so i was already prepared like to get shot down and she says uh you remember how i told you to have a, a second option and i'm like oh you know because she had told me like i'm asking for a lot of money
0: mm-hmm.
2: and i was like yeah i remember and she like well we don't need the second option they're going to give you the whole 27 million wow. i said what that's Hell no, nah, right? So I was like, I couldn't believe it, right? L- literally, I got emotional, got choked up with tears. I bet. And she says, you know, you can't tell anybody though until like we come out with the, with the budget. She said, but I'm telling you, they're going to give it to you. And uh, they gave us the 27 million. Then uh, kind of a other funny thing happened. Another Senator who I'd worked closely with during the budget revise calls me up like two months later. Now the governor's already signed the budget. And she says, Can we're revising with some other monies that we have. And this is during a budget surplus. Do you still need money? for the project that you were talking about, like the campus that you're building out, the tech training program. And I'm like, well, you you guys know you gave us 27 million, right? She said, oh, I know. She said, but do you need more? And I'm like, could yeah. Always use yeah, some more, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could always use some more. And so they gave us another million five to build the housing campus. She said, well, That's we're going to give big. this to you just to put towards property to wow. build out the campus. So we ended up getting twenty eight point five million. Wow. Two years out of prison to build this campus tech training campus for justice impacted men and women and to do all the things that we kind of um, set out to do. And so it was.
1: That's amazing. <laughs> That's incredible. So, yeah that is incredible
0: man I, I can't even lie as you sitting here telling the story bro my heart beating and I, I know the, the conclusion like of course you know I know you and I'm going through it like damn you better get it is you, like, you know what I mean that's man that is well, a trip bro to overcome all the things you did I feel like that is a excellent display of what frederick Douglass was talking about as far as education being the pathway to freedom right. you know what i mean you was able to overcome all those different obstacles and overcome i'm talking about a, a immeasurable amount of oppression you know what i mean and dehumanization and keep that intact but overall prevail like that is nuts man that's inspiration on a whole nother level
2: I appreciate that. And the capstone it hasn't even come yet. So you remember I talked what? about I talked about earlier in, in the podcast, I was thinking about tech. This is go back to 2012. Mm-hmm. And, and literally every single day, I was thinking about app and applications and, and what kind of web development and what kind of applications could I think about while mm-hmm. I was in prison to get out there and like, get one of those $1 billion (laughs) buyouts from a Facebook or whoever, because I was reading about this every single day, there was just a fury of bacteria. I'm like, there's trillions of dollars changing hands and like, I'm not part of this, right? And I was intent on being part of it. So fast forward, I got this $28.5 million. We as an organization, this tech company calls me and like, hey, we're getting ready to operationalize our corporate social responsibility program. We just took the pledge 1%, Mark Benioff stuff from Salesforce. And we're looking for somebody that has proximity to what our mission is, which is fair chance hiring and all of that. And uh, we also want to build a corporate foundation. So we want somebody that has 501c3 experience. And so someone told us that you would be great for the job, right? And are you willing to talk to us? So at the time, like I'm, I'm fresh off of getting almost $30 million from the governor of the state. And, I, and I'm, I'm real big on living up to my commitments. Like I had made a lot of promises, built a lot of relationships, and a lot of people had invested in me and the organization. So at first I told him, no, I'm, I'm straight, right? Like I'm, I'm cool, I got a lot of work ahead of me. They said, okay, like we respect that. And then they ended up calling me again in a couple of weeks. And they're like, hey, we just want to have another conversation with you. So I said, oh, sure, I'll have a conversation with you. So we had that second conversation. And then the second conversation, they started talking tech dynamics. Now, mm-hmm. for those people who don't know what tech dynamics is, tech pays a lot different than nonprofits, right? They have things like equity packages and stock and pay and like scales. And it's like, they got me dizzy, and so like, you know, I called my pops and I remember telling him like, listen, this is like nonprofit is like high school football. Hmm. It's cool. And everybody likes to go to a good game and it's good. It's exciting. But when tech call, that's like getting it's a call. The from NFL. The NFL, that's, that's like the NFL calling. And that's so, so can I responsibly as someone who's two years out of prison, like shut the door on an opportunity that may never, ever come again? They were offering to make me a VP at a tech company that just had a wow. $5 billion evaluation. And... I thought to myself, if I leave my fellows and I, and I leave this, I need to create a solution before I think about it. And so I started thinking in my mind, like, who in the state could take on this, like, BHAG thing that I'd created, right? Because it was, it was a huge, huge vision. Like, the, the purpose of creating the campus was about systemic change. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about, like, one program in Oakland training 50 people a year. This was about how to change the model for justice-impacted people right. and what we need upon reentry, right? To be successful in the way that we can add a value proposition. And so I said, man, you know, um, Sam Lewis, he's already at ARC. Jay Jordan is already at Alliance for Safety and Justice. I mean, Kenyatta's is already at Next Chapter. I'm thinking about all the like leaders that I know. Mm-hmm. And I thought about, you know, this woman who is a remarkable woman named Tara Lawyer. She was still working at the organization she was at, but I told her, I'm gonna, when I do the housing piece, I'm going to bring you over to the housing director. I called her up. I said, Tara, I got this dilemma. I got this huge, huge vision. That's kind of like come to fruition. The bus is built. What I need is somebody that can drive it. And I said, do you think you can handle it? I said, because to me, the ideal situation is to balance this out with gender equity. To bring a woman into an organization run by five lifers, to have her lead and offer her value proposition, I thought would would bring a nice balance to what we were trying to do. She ended up saying yes to it, which gave me an out. There were some selfish motivations for me to get out, but I I felt confident about her leadership, introduced her to the team and said, this is who I think can take my place. And I think the transition will be relatively small. I agreed to jump over to the board and uh, the rest is history. I ended up going to check her and and now I'm the VP over there doing this work all across the country with CEOs and others and all of that. So that's kind of.
0: It's been a journey, kid. It's been a journey, bro. My goodness. There's so many things to take away from fl- I think it's
1: flower time again.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. You already know. So one, one thing I'm big on, man, is giving people their flowers, bro. And I, I'm pretty sure you already know, but if you don't, one of the purposes of giving people their flowers, man, a lot of times people get, get their credit when they're dead and gone, and they get the flowers on their grave. You know what I mean? So I want to give them to you while you still can smell it, man, and, and, and express that appreciation. You know what I mean? And commend you for that, bro, because that's big. That's big for so many different reasons reasons but my in my opinion one of the main reasons though is the level of inspiration like when you see somebody do something that can quite literally Alter your trajectory of what you feel you can do. You know what I mean? So hearing so, the things that you accomplished, hearing how you was able to remain resilient and ultimately prevail. Somebody like me, I know if I wasn't in the position I'm in now hearing this type of stuff, I would have been like, man, as soon as I get out of prison, it's on. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's on. Okay, Can't nothing stop me.
1: That's but right. For
0: sure. That's so right. So like that, that, in my opinion, is quite literally the makeup of the things that can make unstoppable people realize right. they're unstoppable. That's right. You know what I mean? And that's big. Well, well I'm a
2: big fan of my variety of not letting circumstances define who or what we are. But us, us actually driving and defining what those circumstances are. So I, I don't believe in limitations. I don't I don't believe in ceilings. I don't believe in any of that. I believe that if any person on this earth can do something, i look them straight in the eye and tell them I think I can do it. And then I go about setting out backwards mapping that on figuring out how to do it. So, you know, I I I tell every man and woman when I go into prison, like, listen. This is the power and the promise of possibility. You can do whatever you want. I'm I'm not any more special than anybody else, right? I'm I'm just a man who read books and had a determination and decided. I made the decision that when that man gave me life in prison in that courtroom, you're not going to decide my fate. I'm going to decide my fate. And at the end of me deciding that fate, I'm gonna hold up a Super Bowl trophy because I'm gonna win. Right. And so I've kind of set out living my life like that. And so that's kind of the message that I deliver. And I believe that, you know, tech and the knowledge based economy has a lot to um, gain from using our value proposition, our intellect and and what we can bring to the table. Because when you look at like the content provider providers, right, it doesn't matter if it's if it's a software as a service or whatever, we bring a very unique perspective with our lived experience to any product evolution, to any innovation, to any consumer-driven marketing piece, we see things that other people haven't seen. And, and vice versa, you know, Chris has seen a whole lot of stuff that I haven't seen. Right. But what happens is, if you get 10 or 15 people around the table who haven't seen the same shit, you come out with a better value proposition.
1: Absolutely. Right?
2: So that's really what I'm about, is how can we get the best idea and the best minds? And I think you can only do that through diversity and inclusion of all different types of populations.
1: I've seen more just because I'm older than you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you you
0: seasoned, man. You seasoned. Thanks. You be raining that's game, right. man. Right. And, and, and speaking of raining game, it's been raining game in here, man, with the big dog, <laughs> Ken Oliver, bro. We really appreciate you pulling up and dropping these jewels on this man for real, bro. I, I say it, it all the time, bro. Presence is priceless, man, for real. So, Man, appreciate you coming, dropping these jewels on us, blessing us with this game, blessing us with your journey. You know what I mean? Again, it's so much that be, can be taken away from that man. That's so inspirational and so powerful. You know what I mean? So again, got to give you your flowers, man, and continue to strive in the in steps and in the directions that you're heading, bro. Because I, like you said, this this ain't it. It's still more to I know come. For sure, and, you know and, what I mean.
2: And I, and I think it's important for all of us that have been successful. And I know the work that you do socially too. It's important that we give back. I call this Harriet Tubman work. I mean, you, oh, know, you, sure. you, you can you can go and I can go and Erlan can go and Jason can go and live and make a salary and, and go do our thing and live our life after, you know, um, losing so much of ourselves and our family's lives. But it's incumbent. I, I couldn't sleep if I didn't go back and get the homies that are sitting in cages right now and provide space and opportunity for them because I'm blessed. Like for, for me to have like Stanford University and Mayor Brown and this kind of platform to talk about this stuff like that. That's a privilege. Now, I've, sure. now, I've now become one of the privileged folks, sure. right? And, and it's incumbent upon us to reach back into those cats right now who are on lockdown, to those cats right now that are reading those books or are in the last mile or in some type of program in some group, hoping, right. like Tupac said, for a better day. Right. Right. And that we provide that opportunity for them. We bring them to the other side and say, listen, this is how you can get to the places you want to go in life. There's a pathway and we're making it for you. So I, exactly. I believe that's important for all of us to do.
0: Like well, the last mile I say, paving the road to success. Paving the road to success. <laughs>
1: that's right. Well, it's it's really great that we connected. You know, the fact. We got that, big things to do, Chris. I know. We do. <laughs> but the fact that you wrote us a, a note while you were in, in, in the shoe. And we're sitting here today talking about what we can do together. It's just miraculous and it not crazy. It gives people crazy. inspiration. And and that's the thing, like we're doing this show for people to understand, get some transparency into what's happening. But there are also family members of those incarcerated. There's people inside they're gonna hear this show and to hear your inspirational story and to think if Ken can do it, I can do that's it. That's right, and We're that's thought. what you want them that's to right. think. So we really appreciate that you shared your story. A lot of things to come.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Stay tuned right here on SiriusXM. You're listening to the Last Mile Radio. It's going down. We're gonna be back shortly. Yes, 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 and we are back. We are back. You're tuned in to the Last Mile Radio right here on Sirius XM. Chris, my goodness, that was deep. <laughs> that was deep.
1: That was a story. I mean, I know Ken, right? But hearing that and and hearing the depth of that, I there are some things that I didn't even realize that in that story. I mean, you think about here's a guy who gets fifty two to life, fifty two as a result life. of th- three strikes. When he went in prison, nobody was getting out who was a lifer. Right, 96, right. And he has this mental fortitude to be positive and say, I know I'm going to get out and I'm going to be successful. That's how he was operating. Is that, um, I mean. That you, that definitely was one of the takeaways I got. For, for
0: me, in one word, I see resilience. And ultimately that resilience was able to transition in actions that, Took him to an unimaginable level, like to 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 where he's at now. To be to first and foremost to get sentenced to 52 years to life and not just quit life. You know what I mean? Just to not give that alone within itself is nuts. But then to get sent to the hole. Yep. For that long to get sent to the shoe for that long and still not break. Only to come out and then thrive in the prison that he was out and then get out of prison with a lawsuit and all, oh my God, like that was, the journey is just crazy. It's so much to take away from it.
1: It's crazy. That was so methodical. He said it took him four years to build his case. Right. And he did it and he got the the folks at Stanford who we know well to work with him and he's able to get his sentence commuted, basically. Right. And then he gets out and he has this idea to basically create an opportunity for people post-release, who don't have opportunities and has a big idea, pitches that big idea and gets funded for that big idea Hit dice. and still has this, this tech want, you know, this, this want to be in tech and this desire to be in tech from day one. That and, part
0: was a trip too. how it came around full circle full like that. Circle. That part full was amazing. Full
1: circle. So here's a guy who's I mean saying is an inspiration is an understatement
0: Facts, facts But I, I, I use that for lack of a better word Because how it inspired me and impacted me Definitely is deeper than it sounds
1: Yeah, it, for sure, for sure so we're gonna take <laughs> there's Absolutely. a lot of takeaways. <laughs> a there. lot of
0: takeaways. And but since we talk about taking out I, I wanna take these flowers and give them to you real quick. Chris <laughs> Odore, oh, I want to go ahead and give you your flowers, man, as I as as we usually do at this time. You already know, man. You always show up and show out. You, you you've done so much as well, so I gotta give your flowers back at
1: you, man. I appreciate it very much.
0: Definitely, now I'm gonna accept that. Thank you, and I gotta give you your flowers as well for tuning in. Presence is priceless. That's so real. Presence is priceless. So thank you for tuning in and soaking up this game with us. And also, we would love to hear from you. And if you would like to tap in, please tap in at thelastmileradio.org.
1: And you can always hear the show in any show if you download the SiriusXM.
0: Oh yeah, make sure to tune in I'm Maserati E
1: I'm Chris Redlitz
0: And this is The Last Mile Radio
1: On Sirius XM
0: Yeah No lie I've been on a journey for a while Finally I see the last mile. I've been on a journey for a while. Finally I see the last mile. I'm paving the road to success. Ayy, I'm paving the road to the best. Wait, I'm paving the road to success. Ayy, I'm paving the road to the best. Wait, no lie to the best way. To increase the success race. Define odds against us even when it's unexpected. Changing the world by changing the way we view the world. It's all perspective.